I'd like to invite you along the Camino with me. I'm Holly Brock, and welcome to the playful ponderings of my particular pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago. The title of this next story, Reincarnation, might be misleading as to the story's content. But if you're getting a feel for me, there just might be an interesting twist on it. Or at least I think it's interesting. So here's one for all you fellow bobbleheads and bodybuilders out there. Enjoy Reincarnation. I am fondly calling this story re-incarnation. The word incarnation followed me around for the year preceding my pilgrimage along the Camino. It followed me because it was trying to convince me that I am one. I am one, and guess what? If you have a body, so are you. So it might surprise you that I had to be reminded of this. This process, as we realize many have when we can look back on them started a few years before. A group of high schoolers organized a silent auction to raise money for a missions trip to Uganda. I was asked if I had anything to contribute. We offer what we have to give, so I offered to lead a class in the movement technique called NIA. You might remember the sensation delicious story. I'm sure that if anyone in that group had known what NIA is, it would have been the hottest item, but as it turned out, one person bid, say lovey. In the process, though, I noticed an equally hot offer at the next table, a published author who was offering to critique an original short story. And I'll give you one guess who was the highest and only bidder, me. This accomplished author and I set a date to meet. Now I had a bona fide writing deadline. I already had a concept for my story. The title is The Dark Sacred Night, and it's about a secret group on a mission to preserve important information. I must say that I was pretty impressed with myself. In my mind, this story was awesome. May I repeat, in my mind, this story was awesome. We met at a coffee shop and I watched eagerly as the author began reading my story. Here and there, she would jot down notes, then make quite a few more, but soon she put her pen down altogether. I'm thinking, cool, she's getting swept up in my mesmerizing story. But then she put the paper down altogether and I realized she looked thoroughly perplexed. She announced, Holly, I have no idea what's going on in this story. It's all conceptual and abstract. It's like it's all happening off of the ground. Get the story back on the ground. She suggested reading some Flannery O'Connor. As a product of Enlightenment's trickle-down effect, and also, I think, growing up in the heat of the feminist movement, I realize that in response to these influences, I have tried to exile some parts of me that I don't value, while disproportionately elevating others. 
because I had decided that my rational function was the most important part of being a human, I positioned logical cognitive function way above its pay grade. And simultaneously, I took my emotive and even physical elements and tried to show them quietly out of my experience. It should come as no surprise then that my college essay was no joke based on the famous or infamous line of Descartes, I think, therefore, I am, giving my thoughts the sole authority to confirm that I was indeed alive and affirm that my life had value. That's some serious stuff. I began to see that from this paradigm, instead of a free flow of authentic response to life, I was trying really hard to live out of my brain by means of my thoughts in the world of information and concepts. I was attempting to live all squished up in my head. Picture a really intense floating bobblehead. And as you can imagine from that vantage point, it's easy to forget that my feet are actually necessarily and blessedly touching the ground at all times and my body walking through real physical experience. Basically, I tried to ignore that I am a real person with a brain, yes, but also a heart and a body to go with it. And if you do that for long enough, it changes the way you understand yourself and reality. Somewhere along the way, I began to believe that it was in my mind that real life was happening. Somewhere along the way, I had conflated my thoughts about life with life. And that's when Flannery's voice unapologetically slammed open the door of my bobblehead and the world of all of these thoughts and said, your beliefs will be a light by which you see, but they will not be what you see and they will not be a substitute for what you see. Flannery was reminding me that I am a real live person living her real live life on this real live earth. Some of you relate. Everybody else thinks it sounds crazy, which I won't argue with. When did I agree to this? I am real with feelings and with flesh and bone, walking through a world not just of my own mental making. I needed to settle back down on the real earth, not just my thoughts about the earth. God was inviting me to come back into the bodily form I had been given and to not just existentially feel my feet on the ground. This wasn't just a word for my story, apparently. This was a word for my perception of myself and engagement with, re- with reality, too. Apparently, I had some serious reincarnating to do. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Flannery. Thanks, God. Walking the Camino was an important experience of this. My feet on every square foot of this trail, one foot in front of the other. Not there and then, but here and now. I could not be further along, nor was I ever further back than where I actually was. It dawned on me that my flesh and bone are where they are at all times. This is quite an amazing realization to someone who tends to forget that she is an incarnated being and can actually only show up in terms of her flesh and bone. We are spirit too, but we show up as flesh and bone. We make our regional appearances exactly by means of our flesh and bone. Strange that I needed such prompting to remember that we have flesh and bone, but moreover that we are given flesh and bone by design. 
it dawns on me like the miracle it is. If all that I am able to do is be where I am, then blessedly, that is all I am required to do and all I can expect of myself. Peace, child. Be at peace in the miracle of this creation, which you did not design nor are in charge of. Believe it or not, some of us actually need to be reminded of this. As I walk along the Camino, I realize there are quite a few of us that walk around unaware of our bodies. I begin to see another obvious point. Walking around involves feet with a body. I look at all the pilgrims walking ahead of me and behind me and see that in fact we are all bodies and none of us have no bodies. And I was so excited about this that I said out loud, none of us is a nobody. All of us are some body. I like to fancy that in response to that mind-shattering proclamation, I got a standing ovation. In full disclosure, we were all already standing as we were walking the Camino. I'm pretty sure they just heard it as a pep talk in self-worth, which it was, but in a much more existential way. So to all you fellow pilgrims, I can now say with all sincerity, where you are, there you will be. But... There is more to this reincarnation story than focusing only on the body. Let's look for the whole truth, lest we, in contrast, get obsessed with our bodies only. Oh wait, we already have. So, lest I move from only being a bobblehead to only being a bodybuilder, I keep walking along the Camino because this is important. Walking through the fields of grain, or up on the high plateaus or through the mountain passes, I would often feel so small, my tiny body making its way through these massive places, my very real but tiny self. But wait, something does not ring true about that picture, or at least doesn't ring of the whole truth. It is true that in these massive places, my body feels small, but not my soul. On the Camino de Santiago, there is a long, flat section called the Meseta, and pilgrims report that it is one of the most significant sections. When I traveled through the Meseta, where mile upon mile I saw the mountain range up ahead, yet did not seem to be getting any closer to it, my body did indeed feel small. Day after day, I kept traveling through space toward these mountains, but couldn't be sure that I was really getting closer to them. Talk about feeling tiny. That, at least, was the experience of my body. But this wasn't the whole story. The experience of my soul during the same time was not one of a tiny being. In this expansive place, and perhaps because there was so much space around me, my soul felt immense. My body felt small, yet my soul did not. C.S. Lewis says it like this, You do not have a soul. You have a body, you are a soul. The body has the honor of marking the regional appearance of a person, like the anchor of a ship, but it is not the ship. In our Western scheme of reality, where we have largely forgotten the more mysterious elements of this gift of life, we envision that the soul is contained in the body. This understanding of reality threatens to paint the picture that since we are little packages of flesh, we are also little packages of soul also. But is that the whole story? My body, the part of me that has been blessed to incarnate here, is indeed small, yet I am reminded that very humbly I am not. I am soul anchored by my body, 
I walk by means of my feet on the ground, yet my soul reaches out from there. More like my body is in my soul. It is a much more wondrous world where our bodies anchor and are the means by which we interact and relate in our experience of life, but are not the scope of us. We are mysteriously all not only bobbleheads or only bodybuilders or expansive souls. We are all of these. Amazing. Then something hits me like a ton of bricks. And since this is a story about incarnating, I feel the need to say that the ton of bricks was a realization in my soul. They did not actually hit my body. The realization is that this incarnational experience of having flesh and bone is not only ours. This was Jesus's too. Jesus is God incarnate who became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. For a time, Jesus had a body much like ours, which meant his feet walked on the ground just like me and you. And like us, he showed up as a regional appearance, the regional appearance of God. When he called himself the way, he was apparently dang serious about literally showing us the way. He knew that this amazing creation and incarnation itself was a good way for us to meet. Jesus became flesh and moved into our neighborhood so we could meet him. It is good that there is an earth and that we have feet to anchor us so we can walk around on it because it is here that we meet him. God never forgot us, but knew we needed to have a place to find our way back to him. So we moved into our neighborhood, introduced himself, showed how very much he loves us and left his spirit for us. That makes me want to walk around on my real two feet here to find Jesus in all the ways I can. From Colossians 1, 15 through 20, Jesus is the true human. Christ is the clue to all that is. In him dwells all the fullness of God. All things in him hold together. And also for it is in Jesus that all of creation, including us, live and breathe and have our being. Buckle your seatbelts. We are not in Kansas anymore. Well, actually, you really might be, but you know what I mean. 